will be uh, today reading Galatians uh, 2, verses 11 through 16. Uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 16. <clears throat> this is the word of, our, word of the Lord. Uh, let's give it our full attention. <clears throat> but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it is so clear. Please help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to explain it clearly. I pray for their hearts and their ears that you would unstop them, that you would prepare them, clear their heads from distractions. Lord, we pray that you would do something in this time for your own glory. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As we begin this morning... I have this question for you, a few questions. Have you ever been judged? Judged by others? Have you ever been rejected by others? Kids, have you ever maybe been left out? Whether it's a, a game out on the, the uh, playground or you have to eat lunch alone. I did that many times growing up in uh, the lunchroom, and that's not a fun thing. You have to eat lunch by yourself, if you can relate with that. But really, we've all experienced that at some point, haven't we? been rejected, whether as an adult or as a child, excluded from some crowd. When I was in middle school, I can remember going to a guy's house. We had a great time. He was super friendly. But somehow we got back to school and everything changed. Right back around everybody else, all of a sudden he, he didn't treat me the same. Is that weird? You might have experienced the same thing. That with the, when the crowd comes, the rules change. Well, that's exactly what happened here. It doesn't just happen on playgrounds and lunchrooms. It happens in churches as well, and that's sad. It happened this time with none other than the Apostle Peter. He's the guilty party. He's the one who's excluding and leaving out people. If you look at page 7, you'll see the outline. I'm two points this morning. First one, forgetting our justification distorts our views of ourselves and others, particularly verses 11 through 14, and then Secondly, embracing our justification frees us to love those who sin differently than us. Those are two points. We'll begin with the first. Forgetting our justification distorts our view of others and ourselves. Last week we looked at how um, the Jews, they were trying to get Gentile Christians to be circumcised. right? And Paul said, we didn't stand for it for a moment. I said, you need to become like a Jew if you're going to be part of this crowd. And so they, we saw from that, they said, okay, no, that's not true. You don't need to do that. 
But then we come to this issue this time. So, okay, the Gentiles aren't different than us, but do we, do we have to eat with them? Do we have to share a table with them? That's the situation that we have here. Kids, I don't know. Think about who you eat lunch with. If you're in school, who do you eat lunch with? Is there anyone there at your table who's completely different than you, rejected by everyone else? They might all be just like you. So we can relate a little. Look at verse 11 again. So Cephas, Cephas is just another name for Peter, when you see that. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I, being Paul who wrote this, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Our passage just kind of explodes out of the gates. Okay, we have the great Peter and Paul, and they're opposing each other, and Paul is saying he stands condemned. What in the world's going on? So look at the next few verses to figure out what's this situation. For before certain men came from James, he, being Peter, Cephas, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, they followed him, right? They acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas, Barnabas, remember from last week, is Paul's buddy. Think even Barnabas got caught up in it. He was led astray by their hypocrisy. Okay, so let me speak of something that's more recent in American history that all of you know about. It was the segregation of blacks and whites. Okay, this passage you could very easily read in that context. Let me just retell it to you and see if you don't see the connection. Okay, so you've got this white guy who's fine with eating with all the blacks until these other racist guys come, put pressure on him, and all of a sudden, what does he do? He segregates from them. Can't you see a parallel there? And then so Paul rebukes him, as he should, and says, what are you doing? You were fine with them before, but then pressure, peer pressure comes, and then all of a sudden you're going to segregate from them. I just, I I wanted to share that with you so you can kind of get the picture. This is what's going on. You know, but it's, it's something more than just racial for the Jews. You see, black and white segregation was never right. That's always been wrong. But see, for the Jews, it's a little bit different. For Jews... Table fellowship was highly spiritual. And before the time of Christ, they actually were commanded in the Old Testament, separate from the pagans out there. Be holy, set yourself apart, or you're going to become like them. Don't marry them, don't eat with them. And so the rules have changed. So now we have something that's even a second layer. Let me illustrate this. When a Jewish family, they gather on the table, the father, the head of the household, breaks the bread and offers a blessing. When he does that, He's offering the blessing over everyone at his table. So this is a pretty spiritual thing. The people at your table, there should be a certain um, affinity, a certain relationship. It's, It's spiritual. And so why would you let this unclean Gentile at your table? We talked about this last week. There was a huge wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember we talked about that. But it all changed. And now see, Peter, he knew better. I think I mentioned this last week. There's a story in Acts 10 where Peter, uh, he sees this. He has a vision. A sheet comes down from heaven, and in that sheet are pigs and all kind of other unclean animals, stuff that Jews never eat. You've probably heard of kosher, right? These were not kosher foods. And so he hears a voice from heaven say, take and eat. He says, no, Father, I've, I've never eaten any unclean thing. Now, you guys can't relate with this. You love bacon, you love, but we, these were Jews. It never he said, no, I won't do that. Three times. Three times that sheet. He's like, here's this voice. 
He gets the point. Oh, okay. And what God says is, don't call unclean what I've made clean. The rules are changing. The ceremonial law of the Old Testament was all pointing to Christ, and Christ fulfilled it. It's over. You can eat bacon now. Is that good? That's good news, isn't it? And so, I mean, Peter got the memo. He immediately goes to Cornelius' house. It's not just about bacon and eating whatever you want. It was about the people. And so, knock, 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 right after this vision, he goes to Cornelius' house, an unclean Gentile. And this is what he says. Peter says to them, and I just want you to think, remember the verses we just read, and this is the same Peter. He said to them, Cornelius and all the other Gentiles, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call a person common or unclean. Now, how did Peter get from there to here? Isn't that a little bit like my middle school friend? Right? He got it. He understood. He was in Cornelius' house. He proclaimed the gospel. He stayed with them. He ate with them. He was eating unclean food with unclean people. Because he said, I can't call anyone unclean anymore. But then he comes back. And the circumcision party shows up, puts pressure on him. And all of a sudden, he's starting to segregate. He's separating himself from them. If only Peter had embraced the implications of his justification, he would have not acted this way. Now, that might not mean a lot to you. Justification is a big word. Do you know what that word means? If you don't know what that word means, and that really doesn't mean a lot to you, you're feeling about like Peter did that day. He knew what it meant, but it didn't mean anything to him that day. He was not living in that truth. Let me give you a simple definition. We'll unpack it in the second point, okay? Justification is like we said at the beginning of the service. You're sick. You're in the sick side of the the waiting room, but you're made clean. You're completely washed clean. You now, when God looks at you, if you're a Christian, he sees you as righteous. Okay, that's what justification means. If, if Peter was holding on to that, would he really have segregated from the Gentiles? No. They had the same justification. They were clean, just like him, in the same way. So why did he separate? Look at verse 12, see if you can figure it out. Why did he separate? It was fear of man, wasn't it? It says he feared the circumcision party. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare. It's true. Fearing people gets us in trouble. It did for Peter. But then you see Paul's opposing him to his face in front of everybody. Have you ever been publicly humiliated? It's not much fun. Usually we we recommend people don't do that, right? Why would Paul do this? Well, the answer is actually in verse 13. One is Peter's sin was very public in front of everyone, so he needed to be confronted publicly. But look, it says the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Kids, you know that word? Hypocrisy? Hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does the opposite. So he says, I'm moral, but then acts immorally. Now, how is that different for me? I proclaim to you how to live righteously, and yet... If you spend a lot of time with me, you'll find out that I'm a normal person like you. No, that's not hypocrisy, because I'll admit it from here. I just did. I can't live up to the standards of Scripture, but I strive to, but I am justified. Jesus paid fully for me. So a hypocrite is someone who lies and says, 
I do keep this when they don't. Do you see the difference? Does that make sense? So a hypocrite is someone who lies and says, I keep the law when they really don't. That's what Peter was doing. And that's what the rebuke is. We're going to see that in just a minute. But look look at his rebuke. He says, when I saw that their conduct, this is verse 14, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He didn't say, hey, you're being rude. Hey, you're being racist. Hey, you're being unkind. You're hurting their feelings. He says, your actions, your conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. This is a gospel issue. Isn't that the theme of the whole book? This is what God has Paul so upset. He says, you're messing with the gospel. Peter, you're messing with the gospel. That's why he said, that's why he's confronting him. How is he messing with the gospel? Look, that verse goes on. He says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile. What does he mean by that? He says, you were eating unclean foods just yesterday. You were sharing the table with them just yesterday. Because you knew that we're all justified, not by what you eat or you don't eat, but by Christ. But then all of a sudden, now you've separated, and now you're acting like, hey, unless you become like a Jew, you can't be part of our club. Do you see what his rebuke is? He said, you were fine yesterday, but all of a sudden now you've changed the rules, Peter, which is hypocrisy, which is hypocrisy. You know what's interesting? Remember last, a few weeks ago, we talked about Paul's throwing himself under the bus. Remember he said, like, I'm my old way in Judaism. I was persecuting the church. Now, generally, people don't willingly humiliate themselves. Now, Peter's being humiliated. Now, is this a new experience for Peter? You know anything about his life? No. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, in front of all the other apostles. That's humiliating. He denied Christ three times. That's humiliating. All that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, and Peter was the source for it. Why? I mean, think about your Bible. Is there any character? I can come up with maybe one. But almost every character in the Bible gets humiliated. One thing you know the Bible was not written by people. If the Bible was written by people, they would have left all that out. It's written by God. The only person that looks good when you finish the Bible is God. Everyone else is shown to be a failure. How can they do this? It's because they had a right view of justification. They said, yeah, of course. I miserably fail, but that's not my identity. I have a new identity. Do you have a new identity? Do you identify with your life, with how you live. You can either be in denial and and say, I live a good life, and that's how you identify. You're just lying to yourself. Or you can be crushed and say, I'm a pathetic person, and that's the end of the story. But rather, you must not forget your justification. That's what these guys did. They forgot their justification. I've had to do this. Those of you men who are aspiring to be elders and deacons, uh, officer training started Friday night. Please pray for those men. They just began a, ninth, a nine-month journey to grow in Christ. You will have to humble yourself. You cannot be a leader and not humble yourself. I cannot be a leader. I've had, had to humble myself before our temporary elders. You will too. Any leader who's not willing to humble himself is not a worthy leader. And so we see that with these guys. They're all being humbled. Peter here especially. Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. We see it happened in Antioch. That's where they are. It was happening in Galatia. Imagine you're getting this letter and you're reading about this and you say, oh man, I'm guilty of the same thing. I've been disassociated. I've been segregating from the Gentiles. Great. Paul's going to come for me next, right? Do you see, this is why he's telling the story. 
the readers, the first readers of this, are making the same mistake. They've been giving in to this, whether you call them the Judaizers or the circumcision party, people they're saying, know that you need to become like a Jew to become a Christian. And I want to pause here and just affirm you. We're two years old as a church. Over the past two years, I've seen you as a church not do this. Anyone that God's bringing through those doors, you accept with welcoming arms. I don't see you segregating yourself. I don't see yourself saying, well, they're not like us, so we're going to push them away. Praise God. I just want to affirm that in you. That is God in you, that you are not judgmental in that way. So is there any way you can apply this? Well, then I have a question for you. If you were to make a list of everyone that's eaten at your table, your house over the past year, would there be anyone on that list outside of your socioeconomic level? Would there be anyone who is making lots of bad life decisions, whose life is a wreck? That was convicting when I thought to write that for myself. But when you think about it, Jesus, as we read earlier, he's often condemned for the people he ate with. The Son of God, the perfect Son of God, was constantly hanging out with prostitutes and, and tax collectors. And it's amazing. People that Jesus associated with. So there's an application for you. Think about that. This whole thing was about table fellowship. Who do we have at our table? Are you overly restrictive of who you have at your table? There's a great book by um, Rosaria, Butter, Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I've mentioned this before to you. The subtitle is Practicing Radical Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. She, had, she just lets people into her house from her street, finds out later one was a drug dealer. And uh, so then all the neighbors are gathered in her house as there's a drug bust, but she just opens her door. Now, you don't need to give a house key to all your neighbors, but you get the point, don't you? That, that we have an open door to let the people that God brings around us into our home, into our lives. You see, we aren't segregating racially. We've gotten past that error. We aren't doing it by Gentiles and Jews but can't we still do it by other ways, by socioeconomic or whatever, the, whatever standard you make? We naturally associate with people like us. You do this at school, kids. Isn't it hard to be around people that everyone else thinks is a nerd or, you know, silly or an outcast? Applies to all of us. Okay, so Rosaria is a, a beautiful example of embracing. So that's our second point, embracing. So don't forget it. And now we get to unpack it. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16. These verses are like Paul's thesis statement of his whole book. So we got, to, we got to get these two verses. This is the center of the whole book of Galatians, verse 15 and 16. So let's look at it. Verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, did Paul just insult all of us? Not exactly. Most of you are Gentiles. I am too. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, even though we're Jews, and we got all the good stuff, we're the, we got the promises, we, Jesus came from the Jews, we have the law, we have all these gifts. That's what he's saying. We are special, but now God's made everybody special. Okay, that's what he's saying. So he's saying, yeah, you, there really is something special being Jews. Yet you, at this time, they had all the heritage. But then look, he goes on. Yet, beginning of verse 16, that's an important word. Yet. Yet what? Yet we know, even though we're Jews and we're special, that a person is not justified by works of the law. 
We're not justified by being a good person. If you think that, I'd love to convince you otherwise because the Bible says otherwise. You are not going to heaven because you're a good person. None of us are. Those are people that come into the waiting room and say, I'm pretty healthy as they're hacking up a lung. Like, you are not healthy. I can tell that. None of us, none of us will be justified by our good lives. That's what this is saying. Yet we know that a person is not justified. Okay, kids, you know what that word means? Justified. Here's your memory clue, kids. It sounds like just as if I. Just as if I. Sounds like justification. Okay, so what's that mean? Just as if I had never sinned. It's just as if I had never sinned. Remember last week we talked about this common experience. You get a bill in the mail, medical bill, and it says you owe some amount of money. And you're like, I'm pretty sure I paid that. You call the doctor's office and they say, no, you're paid in full. And you're like, great. You rip up the bill, 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 you throw it away. It's a relief. That's what it is to be a Christian. Your account has been paid in full. Okay? But that's only half the story. So there's two just as if I. So kids, stick, stick with me for a second. All right, so just as if I had never sinned, that was the paid in full. Paid in full. The other half is that not only did he pay for all your sins, but he gave you all of Christ's righteousness. So did Jesus ever sin? No. Jesus was, lived a perfect life. So he earned for himself all this righteousness. And so when you become a Christian, he gives all that to you. So not only do you not pay for your sins, all that went to Jesus, all of his righteousness comes to you. Are you with me? And let me illustrate this. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but many of you gotten parking tickets in your life. I'll just raise my hand on behalf of all of us. I've gotten several parking tickets in my life. And I don't know if you've had this experience, I have, where you walk up right as the parking official is writing the ticket. And I was like, come on, buddy, I'm right here. And he's like, I'm sorry, I've already put it in. I'm like, serious? He hands it to me. That's, if you've ever had it's not, not that much fun. You're like, that stinks. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine that man said that and said, you know, I'm, I'm in a good mood today. I'm going to pay that ticket for you. I can't, I can't take it away, but I'll, I'll pay it for you. Hey, are those tickets in your dashboard? Yes. Hey, I'll take those two. Give those to me. I'll pay those two. And you know what? Here's my credit card number. So for all your future parking tickets, you just put it on my tab. Now that's a pretty nice part. That, that guy doesn't exist, I don't think. <laughs> but that's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus paid for all your past sins, your present sins, and your f- future sins, if you will but ask. I asked the parking attention, and it didn't go as well. Jesus never turns away anybody. If you will ask him, because this is true for you too, if you will ask him, he would be delighted to pay not for parking tickets, but for your sins that have a death penalty attached. He'll pay for all of them. But there's another part. That nice theoretical parking attendant said, you know what, last month I was parking attendant of the month, and they gave me my own reserved parking spot right by the front door. It's yours. I earned it, and I'm giving it to you. You see, that's the other half of justification. Not only did he pay all your parking tickets, but he gave you what he earned. Jesus earned righteousness, and he gave it to you. See, justification is a really good deal. You gave away all the bad stuff, and you got all the good stuff. 
And if that is true, if you, if you understand I'm the sick person and Jesus paid all my sins and I got all his righteousness, how could you ever, how could you ever, how could you ever judge someone else? You see, what Peter was doing was forgetting his justification. It was as if none of that was true. He'd forgotten, and all of a sudden, he felt comfortable segregating from them. How could he? You see, if you embrace your justification, if you understand it, and you hold on to it, you will not judge anyone. Because you understand that you, too, have been forgiven. That you, too, are unworthy But Jesus paid for all your sins and gave you all his righteousness. Does that make sense? This is very, very practical. Kids, I have an assignment for you. And adults, you can do it too if you want. Look at verse 16. I want you to circle every time you see the word justified. And underline or put a box around the words works of the law. Okay, circle justified, underline works of the law. I'm going to read the verse Again, with a little bit of emphasis. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, when someone says something three times, In one verse, you know it's important. Three times he said justified. Three times he said not by works of the law. What do we learn from that? That we're dense. We're dense. People listen to preaching week after week and somehow they still believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. They were dense then and we're dense now. And the reality is I even know it and even sometimes I'm dense because they don't live like it. R.C. Sproul said this great quote. I just have to find it. He said the gospel is very simple. The doctrine of justification by faith alone does not require a PhD in theology to understand it. It is simple enough that a six-year-old child, if you're six or anywhere near that age, you can understand it. You can understand what we just explained this morning. If we explain it to him, to get it into your head is one thing. Listen to what he says. But to get it into your bloodstream, where you live on the basis of justification by faith alone, is so hard. I think he's right. To get it into your bloodstream, that's so hard. My goal this morning, for some of you, is just to explain it. You 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 had never even heard the word, or you didn't know what it meant. But for many of you, I want it to get into your bloodstream. I want it to begin to impact how you live. And how I live. When you look in the mirror, I thought of this this morning as I shaved, knowing how to preach this. I don't see a righteous man. I see a sinner. I know you do too when you look in the mirror. And so by faith, I remind myself, I am justified. I am made clean. All my sins are taken away. All this righteousness came to me. You need to remind yourself of that very regularly, or you will be tempted to be like Peter. And you'll judge others. They don't sin like me. So I can look down on them. Please don't do that. If you remember your justification, you will not do that. In the 16th century, a man named John Bradford, an English reformer, 
is quoted saying this, is he watched people walking to their execution. So he sees criminals walking to their execution, and here's what he says. He doesn't say they had it coming. He doesn't say they're finally getting what they deserve. He says this, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. But for the grace, he's saying, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be a reformer and a preacher. I'd be that guy. I would have murdered somebody. 16th century. Fast forward to the 19th century. George Whitfield. If you don't know who he is, he's awesome. He's this great preacher. He preached to thousands. He preached to Ben Franklin, who tried to calculate how many people could hear his voice. He's a really cool guy. Maybe he preached to 10 million people in his lifetime. He's really cool. He said this. He was watching a drunkard who's there in the gutter, wasting his life, and in tears, he looks at him and says, but for the grace of God, there goes George Whitfield. Same thing. He gets it. He says, I wouldn't be a great preacher. If it wasn't for the grace of God poured on me, I'd be a drunk in the gutter. 16th century, 19th century, 21st century. Can you say that? Is that the way you look at other people? But for the grace of God, I'd be like them. But for the grace of God, there goes, fill in your name. As we wrap up this morning, kids, you remember your memory clue? How are you going to remember justification? Just as if I, just as if I had never sinned because Jesus took my sins. Just as if I had always obeyed because I got all Jesus' righteousness. Two important words, theology matters. Theology matters. Justification is theology. You forget your justification, and you'll start acting like Peter. You'll be segregating, you'll be judging others. You embrace your justification, and you can embrace anybody. Theology matters. Some think that theology is dry and dusty. It's for the ivory towers. It makes no practical difference at street level where we live our lives. I beg to differ. No, Paul begs to differ. No, God begs to differ. This makes all the difference in the world. Understanding this. This theology makes a difference between heaven and hell. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, please hear me. If you, kids, adults, everyone, if you have not said, Jesus, pay all my parking tickets. I got a lot more than I could ever pay in a lifetime. Pay all of it. If you've not said that, Today, please do that. Why not? Are you really planning on holding on to all those parking tickets? Do you have any way of paying for them? You've sinned more times than you can count. So have I. How are you going to pay? Do you have any plan to pay for those? Jesus does. Turn to him and ask him to. It's very simple. And yet it's very humbling. And so many will not. They will go to their grave and they'll pay for their own sins. Simply in their pride, because they refuse to humble themselves before Jesus. Do not do that. All of us, hold on to this that you know, that you are justified. Look in the mirror and remind yourself of it. It will bring you great encouragement, and you will not act like Peter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that these great things that I proclaim too good to be true. I could never, never have thought of them. 
but you put them in your word because they are true. You made them true, Christ, by paying for my sins on the cross. Thank you. It was a debt I could never pay. Lord, I pray that no one would leave today, particularly not end this day without being on their knees before you, crying out, saying, my God, my God, forgive me of my sins. Pay all my parking tickets. I can never, never earn my way to heaven. Works the law. No one will be justified. Lord, I pray that this word such simple that a young child would understand it. I pray that no one in their pride would harden their heart and miss out on this gift. Please help all of us embrace it and not forget it. Lord, thank you for the way that you've made this true. This is part of the DNA of this church. And Lord, I pray it would even be true in all of our homes that we would open up our table to more people, even as we do this church. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.